Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Turn to James chapter 1. Are you ready for the word? Are you ready for the word? Are you ready for the word? All right, Father, we thank you for this series that we're doing, More Than Conquerors, because we, we want to conquer in every area of our lives. Lord God, physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, oh Lord, we ask that you would anoint this word and continue to set hearts ablaze, to be overcomers, to be aggressive, to take back what the enemy stole from their lives and walk in victory. Anoint your word in Jesus' name. And everyone said, now I give you permission to say amen. I have permission to say go, Pastor. Uh, just don't throw anything at me and don't, and don't be doodling on Facebook or Instagram while I'm preaching. Amen. James chapter 1. Let's look at verse 12. I have a lot to cover today. Um, this is more going to be an intro of what one thing I want to share. But then uh, I want to hit something very specific later today that many people don't think that they need to overcome. Because let's be honest, the church spiritualizes everything. And uh, so if it's not a demon, it's a demon in the light bulb. The demon behind the, demon behind the, demon behind the bush. And we, and we blame the devil for everything. For our lack of overcoming, we blame the devil, which I'm going to tell you, most of the times, I would dare to say 90% of the time, it's not the devil. There's only one devil. There's he, there's, God is a, a omnipresent. The devil is not omnipresent. So you better be a tough cookie if the devil himself is coming after you. All right? Now, what I, I preface that by, by wanting you to be aggressive in walking in victory in every area of your life. Can I hear an amen? How many have been enjoying this series? We talked about the silence of God last week. Remember the Seraphonician woman? It was a powerful message. Now, I want you to look at this. It's important. James chapter 1, verse 12, verse, verse 12 through 15. And everyone there say amen. Blessed is the man, watch this, who endures temptation. Say temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now, there's a difference between tempting and testing, all right? We know that God tests his, the, the, the faith of people. But this is talking about temptation, evil temptation, all right? Now, watch this in slow motion. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has fully conceived... It gives birth to death and sin. Sorry, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, say fully grown. When sin is fully grown, I'm going to touch on that just a little bit. It brings forth death. Now, we've been, look up at me. We've been, this is powerful here because we've been talking in this series about how to overcome adversity, how to overcome trials, how to overcome situations in life, whether it's the silence of God, whether it's a trial, whether it's a, whether it's a period of time in our lives, how to aggressively overcome and identify certain things that, uh, that, that people in Scripture did to overcome, all right? And so when we, we, at, we, we've been talking about that, but one of the things we have not addressed in this series is how to overcome temptation. Now hear me now. This is imp important. We talk a lot about trials. We talk a lot about tribulations. We talk a lot about challenges. Uh, we talk about dry season, the wilderness season, the, the, the silent season. But we need to address how to overcome temptation. Why? Because it's interesting in this scripture that you just read that there's, the, there's certain words known for bad, bad things or bad nature, darkness, 
evil. There's certain words in the scripture that we just read that are notoriously known for darkness, evil, death. Words like sin, death, temptation. Those words are, are really drastically known as evil words. Yet, no one, nowhere in this scripture do you find the word devil in there. You hear the word sin, you hear the word darkness, you hear the word death in this scripture, but nowhere in this scripture do you see temptation coming from the devil. Because what the Bible says is that temptation comes from desire that's been working in you a long time. Let me give you a clue before we go any further. When temptation forms into an action, it's been inside of you a long time. Now, you say, well, where do, you, where do you get that? Have you ever read the last verse slowly in verse 15 where it says, when sin is fully grown, it produces death. Now, now hear me now. I've read, that for a, I've read that scripture many times, but I never, I never focused on that last part because I just read it fast. Have you ever asked yourself, what in the world that, that, does that mean? What in the world does it mean when sin is fully grown, it produces death? Have you ever wondered what that means? I'll tell you what it means. Fully grown where? Out on the earth? Where is sin growing? Do you just plant sin in a, in, in, out there in, the, in, in your yard and then sin is just growing out in the world? You know what the, the book of James is really saying when sin is fully grown? In your mind. It starts off as a desire that contradicts scripture. And then it grows in your mind without knowing it because you keep allowing it. And that means that 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 sin starts embryonic form. Why? It says when desire is conceived. You know the word conceived means beginning stages. So when that desire is in baby form, it's still in your heart and in your mind. But as you keep it there, it will return into a full-grown, mature reality. And the action of you doing it is called producing death. That's where it says when sin is fully grown, it produces death. You know what the death is? The action part. The death is the action part. The de your spiritual death is when you have repeated bad habits and you can't stop them, it's because sin has fully grown in your mind and your heart through, watch this, what we call temptation. But the temptation starts with a desire. Can I hear an amen? Now watch this. I want you to put that first slide. Look at that. Oh, you're, Zach, you're on it, baby. Temptation first starts as a desire that contradicts Scripture, then, if left undealt with, will grow in your mind and in your heart. Nowhere in Scripture does it say the enemy is saying, go ahead and do that stuff. Go ahead and, go ahead and watch that TV. Go ahead and do that. Now, is that a reality in rare cases? Yes. But Scripture says that temptation comes when you ignite a desire that's inside of you. And that desire, if undealt with, watch this, produces temptation. It produces death. There is no uh, uh, such a thing that in every single person's life, every time they get de tempted, it's the devil. No. you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because if you don't, you're going to blame everything on the devil and your sin and desire is growing in you. And the devil's like, I'm nowhere near your desire. You put that inside of you and it's growing and growing and growing until it's a habit that you can't stop. I know this type of message is not going to bring a lot of amens, but it's okay. Now watch this. Watch this. When I was a youth pastor for 17, 18 years, years ago, I used to, I used to tell my young people that we, we as Christians are God's original superheroes. 
I used to tell them that. I developed a message years ago. I know there's a, there's a book called uh, Killing Kryptonite by John Bevere right now. I haven't read it, I have, haven't read it yet. I ordered it, but I'm not getting that from, from this book. I, I remember years ago, I was telling my, my, my young people, hey, we are God's original superheroes. They're like, what? I go, yes, we are, we, Christians are God's original superheroes. Watch this. I'm, gonna go, I'm going somewhere with this. Because superheroes have supernatural powers, and guess what? Christians have supernatural powers by the Holy Spirit. So super, watch this. Superheroes have supernatural powers. And I'll give you one. Super, superheroes have, some superheroes, have x-ray vision. And guess what? We have x-ray vision too. You say, come on, Pastor Jordan. Yes, we do. It's called discerning of spirits. It's called discernment. Which you can, you can look at someone that's claiming to do something or say something. And through the gift of discernment, you can see right through them. A supernatural power is discernment. When you can discern, and it's not for us to be puffed up. It's for us to help them. Okay? You know what we, the, some superheroes have? They have the ability to heal people. Well, guess what? Christians have supernatural powers to, to heal people. You know what that's called? If anyone's sick among you, have the elders of the church pray for them and the laying of their hands, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. We can heal people through the power of prayer. We have supernatural powers. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. Okay? Hear me now. Most superheroes destroy evil. Christians destroy evil too. How? The Bible says the anointing that's upon you destroys the yoke of bondage. That's destroying evil. Guess what? But temptation left undealt with will fully grow. And here's what it does to your spiritual superpowers. It drains your powers. It drains your strength. It literally drains it. It doesn't just only separate you from God. It causes the abilities that God has been given in you to be sucked out of you. It drains you. you. You are less discerning when you have a lot of sin in your life. You are, you are less inclined to operate in power when you have these things that are inside of you. Now, now watch this. Look, look at what, what Psalms chapter 31 verse 10 in the NLT says, okay? Are you getting something this morning? Now Psalms chapter 31 in the NLT verse 10 says something I've never heard in, the, in this translation. But I want you to see how David describes things that have been inside of you, temptations that they've allowed in their heart for a long time, what it does. It not only separates them from God, look what it says. I am dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Watch this. Sin has what? Drained my strength. Got quiet up in RCC. It has drained, in other words, my power. It has drained my ability to be effective in the spirit realm. Because I have open doors of temptation undealt with, my superpower, Christian, uh, uh, spiritually speaking, is not effective and sharp as it should be. It's draining my strength. And not only drain spiritual strength, it'll drain your physical strength too. Now, what, now so I want you to put this up. Most of what we call worldly desires are actually desires that are intertwined with our fleshly nature. This is good. I'm going to repeat that again. Most of what we call worldly desires, according to Scripture, are actually desires that are intertwined with our fleshly nature within us. Someone say amen. You know why? Because these are the things that we need to address. What is, when you talk about worldly things, all right, when you talk about worldly things, what is, what is actually happening with that? Is it, is, is, is it only just the demonic realm when we're talking about worldly things, or is it something else that we're missing? You know what Jesus said in John chapter 16? Jesus said this, and he, you can put it up there, Zach, but I'll just shoot it real quick. He said, hey, listen, in this world, you're going to have trials and tribulations. He goes, 
These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But watch this. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Now what is Jesus talking about when he says overcoming the world? Is he saying I overcome the people of the world? Is he talking about overcoming the earth of the world? No, he's talking about the byproduct of what happens in the world through sin, temptation, and our fleshly desires. That is what he's talking about is that temptation is birthed for the pleasures of sin, but it's birthed in our heart. And we have to understand how to overcome certain temptations or else we will not be able to overcome. Now, I said all that. That was just my intro. <laughs> okay. I say all that because we have to be, we have to recognize how, how to overcome how temptation comes. It comes from a desire from within. Now watch. But I want to focus on three major temptations that, that is actually temptations. It's not just uh, only demonic, but it's temptations that we go through in life and we pick up, but out of those three, I would dare to say every one of the temptations that we'll ever face is going to be in these three categories that I'm going to tell you, all right? Now, I'm going to focus heavily on one because I felt the Holy Spirit wanting me to land on a particular one today that we all need to overcome, especially as, as, as Christians, all right? So the, 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 there are three major temptations that need to be, sorry, to recognize and overcome in our lives if we're going to stay free. And so let's turn to 1 John chapter 2. You probably know them by heart. But I'm going to break each one down today because we've never, we, we say this really quick. But I'm going to break three, three of these temptations down. And I'm going to ask you to really be honest with yourself if you are currently struggling with one of these three, two of these three, all of these three. But every temptation that we will, we will face will be funneled through these three main things. As a matter of fact, let me give you a little foreshadow revelation. The three temptations that, that Satan did. In a sense, if you, go, if you dig some deep study, we're all touched by these three t temptations, okay? So the first one is, uh, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 2. We'll look at it. Do not love the world, verse 15, or the thing in this world. Uh, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Are you hearing me, church? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. There's three, here's three big ones here. The lust of the flesh. Say lust of the flesh. Say, lust of the eyes, watch this, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, there's three major temptations that will hit everybody in this room. Any temptation that you are and I will face will funnel through these three main things. He says, all that is in the world, all. And then he, he summarizes all by, by, by harping on three things. He said all is in the world. Then he says the lust of the, the, the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. I pray this against this every single day, not only in my life, but in my kids' life. I lay hands on them and I declare all the time that they will not love, they will not have the, 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 the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. But what is that? Let's break down each, uh, what each one is. And I want to really focus on, this, uh, on one, and it's not the one that you're going to think that I'm going to focus on. The first one is the lust of the flesh. You can write this down. The lust of the flesh. All right? Now, the lust of the flesh, and part of me if I look down because I want to make sure I get this, uh, I want to get this to you as I wrote it, is the appetite for indulging and giving into carnal 
and fleshly pleasures, watch this, that violate God's holiness. Now, everybody knows that, right? Okay, everybody knows the lust of the flesh. They are, they are uh, realities and desires that violate God's word concerning holy, holiness, like uh, fornication or sexually illicit sensual things before marriage. That, everybody knows that, that's been around for a while. But, everybody say but. A lot of theologians and a lot of Bible scholars and Bible teachers also attribute the lust of the eye, watch this, sorry, lust of the flesh, uh, to, to desires that seek to violate disciplines of health, or watch this, spiritual consecration. Hear me what I'm saying now. The lust of the flesh is not only fornication and illicit sensual stuff that, that, that is in, that's in our flesh. But the lust of the flesh, hear me now, that temptation is also a temptation of violating disciplines that the Holy Spirit has had for your physical health and for your spiritual consecration. In other words, gluttony over eating is a lust of the flesh. A desire for, for, for overeating and the excess of, of food is a lust of the flesh. Now, how does that happen when it comes to consecration? Because when you're consecrating yourself, I'm going to preach a little bit here. When you're consecrating yourself and you are fasting, and by the way, there are many, fasting was normal and regular in the New Testament. Even in the Old Testament, in the American church, that's, that's like, like only for sp super spiritual people. And that's not what it was meant to be. Fasting was a normal time where you, were, watch this, you crucify your what? Flesh. Do you see that? By not eating so that your fleshy desires could be suppressed. So watch this. Why do you think that the enemy came to Jesus right after he fasted with food? He said, if you are the son of God, turn this to bread. He knew that the flesh, he was trying to trigger a temptation in Jesus. One of the main ones was the lust of the flesh. So, not, so lust of the flesh, temptation, is when you're trying to fast and you're trying to consecrate yourself and there's other fleshly things are trying to get in the way. Of consecration. So it's not just only sexual in nature, it's anything that tries to violate a discipline or a consecration in your life. Can I hear an amen? Those are the temptations. Those are real temptations, all right, for, for, for you, okay? Now, look at the second one, because I'm, I'm going to go through the first two fasts, and then um, the third one is what I'm going to harp on today, and you're going to be happy. You're going to be, be happy, hopefully. <laughs> the second one is lust of the eyes. Now, as a youth pastor, I used to preach this from another angle. But as I did more study, it didn't, and it doesn't mean that one is either right or wrong. You just have more enlightenment. We only, we think lust of the eyes is only just lust at something like pornography or, or lusting at uh, a, a, a certain thing that, or a certain person, and it produces that. Well, that is not the original state. The original state of that lust is the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes fuel the lust of the flesh. Do you hear me? Now, the lust of the eye is not only, uh, can, can we have lust through our eye gate? Yes, but that's not where it starts. The, our fleshly nature is where it starts, okay? Do you understand that? What we see, listen, we're not going to crucify our eyes when we're fasting. We're crucifying our flesh. So the main thing is our fleshly nature that what we see, if we have a lot of high activity in our fleshly nature, what we see will enhance it. But most theologians will agree that, you know, the mind uh, is, 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 it's really something when it lusts of the eyes because the lust of the eyes, according to a lot of Bible interpreters, talks mainly about desires for covetousness. 
for materialistic things, for, for riches that are with the wrong motive. That's what most Bible theologians think that th describe and interpret the lust of the eyes. Is Let me tell you, I don't know if you've been there or not, but there is a real temptation for materialistic riches that are not of God's word. In excess. That's why one of the commandments is that you shall not covet. So one of the lusts of the eyes is not just lust of the flesh, because that's the lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes is dealing with covetousness. Watch this. Wanting more out of greed. That's lust of the eyes. Over-exaggerated materialistic desires. Got quiet. But you know what also is lust of the eyes attributed to in some theologians? Envy and jealousy. So one of the temptations, the second major temptation of the world is, watch this, watch this. You say, Pastor George, prove it. What is the other temptation that, G that the devil came to Jesus? Hey, I want to I come up there and watch this. I'm going to show you all of this, materialistic. All this land, all this world, you could have all of this if you just bow down and worship me. One of the other temptations was the lust of the eyes that he threw to Jesus. You hear me? That's a real temptation. Now, I say all that to say this. The next one is I'm, what I'm going to harp on today, and I want you to have your seatbelts because this temptation is the one that's not really looked upon the most because they're not the most evil out of the three. And that is the pride of life. I'm going to harp on this because I'm, I'm going to set you free in a stealth temptation that is overtaking a lot of Christians, and that is pride. Spiritual pride is overtaking many Christians, and the most people that have pride are the seasoned ones. You hardly see a new believer operating in pride because they just got encountered with the Lord. It's those who've been walking for 10, 15, 20 years that are struggling with the temptation of being prideful. You're not saying anything to me. But the, the pride of life is talking about the reality in a person's life, watch this, that thinks they are better than everyone else, that thinks that they don't need anybody else's resources or anybody's help other than them. The pride of life temptation swells up inside of you as a conception, and it starts off small, but then what pride of life does, it convinces that individual that they are the only ones seeing the right things all the time, interpreting their feelings the right time, uh, interpreting a, 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 a job situation, interpreting a, a uh, home situation, a relationship situation. The pride tells you that you don't need any other resources other than what you're hearing at that moment, other than what you're receiving at that moment in your mind. Remember that sin, temptation starts growing. So some people will have that and not even notice that they have that. They feel that maybe they're the right ones. And so he, I want to just encourage you. Say, if you feel in this room that you are the, the one who's predominantly correct in your analysis of everything, then I tell you lovingly, examine your heart and mind. Because if you're not giving room for other ways to do things other than your way, you're struggling with the pride of life. If you're not giving room for other people to speak into your life because it's not the way you would do it. Can I just be honest with you? This is not in my notes. But if I were to, to wait for everyone to tell me how to do my job, I would never do my job. Do I do everything like, I, like you wanted to? No, absolutely not. And I never will do it like you have it. But guess what? That, they didn't, 
The disciples probably thought Jesus could do something different. But you have to realize, if you are struggling with the pride of life, you will be convinced that your way of doing things is better than anybody else's. Come on, preach now. As a matter of fact, the, the book of Proverbs, is 16, uh, Proverbs 16, verse 18, says something very simple and very short. Look at what it says. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Let, let me just give you, do you realize what this is saying? God is giving you hints before you fall. He's saying, pay attention to the level of pride and arrogance that is swelling up in you because right after that, there's destruction. It says pride comes before destruction, right? And a haughty spirit is before a fall. You have to realize the power of this. Now, why is it, why am I harping on this? Why am I harping on this? Because... I want you to put that next slide up. This is, this is beautiful here. Pride is the exact opposite of Christ's character, and it cancels, watch this, one of the most beautiful attributes that Jesus also makes us spiritually attractive. You know what that is? Humility. Pride cancels one of the most beautiful attributes that makes Christians distinguished, and it makes Christians, watch this, don't, don't, don't get twisted what I'm going to say, spiritually attractive. There's something spiritually attractive about someone who has rejected pride and rejected to be right the whole time. Listen, you know that you've matured when you've given up your right to be right. You know you've matured when you realize you're not the only answer in the church. You're not the only voice of reason in your house. That you're not the only one that has all the right things to say. Come on, I'm going to go over here because nobody's talking back to me. Because, see, the other two, we can see real good, like the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye. We repent of that quick. But the reason why we don't repent of pride is because we think we're right and everybody else is wrong. How would you repent of something when you're convinced that you are the right one and everyone else is wrong? That is the stealth mode deception of pride. Pride is a killer. I used to say this in my youth group and I'll say it again. Pride is like bad breath. Everyone knows you have it except you. Have you ever had someone bad breath and they have no clue that they're talking to you like, yes, let me just fall down on the, in the spirit by, by faith. <laughs> now that's funny, but you know what? A person that has allowed, or sorry, not dealt with pride actually thinks that everyone else is wrong. So they're not repentant of it. The other two is very quick, is very evil, so we recognize it. Come on, church. So we recognize it. Watch this. And you know what pride is? So, so, so watch this. So humility is beautiful, but pride is unattractive spiritually. And I'm just going to say this right now. Pride is unattractive physically too. I'm going to say that real loud. I don't care how chiseled that face is, that, that, how great that body is to you, how nice that face is. If that person is arrogant and all about themselves and prideful, suddenly something physically will be wrong with that person. You'd be like, you know what, they're not too good looking anymore after they open up their mouth. See, from a distance, you thought, oh, man, she's really pretty. And she's like, well, let me tell you all the stuff I've done. You know, I've done this and I've done this and I've done that. And let me tell you, I have all these years of church experience, so you need to learn from me. And listen, you just, can I just be honest with you? You know you matured, you, you walk in humility when you can receive from someone that is younger than you and has less experience than you.
you need to learn that because I'm, I'm, I'm younger than half of my leaders maybe. So, or, or, or maybe some of you. If you can't receive from someone who is younger than you because you have so much experience, and if you can't receive from someone who is less experienced than you, you have disqualified their ability, God-given ability, to speak into your life. God uses people for his glory, and spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age. Spiritual maturity has nothing to do with your physical age. As a matter of fact, there's people that are 60 years old and they have, they've been walking with God for 40 years and they have the maturity level of a 5-year-old. But there's people that have been walking with God for 5 years and they have wisdom and maturity. Not because they're better, because they've opened themselves up to the fullness of God in their life. You have to understand this because if you don't, you will stealthily struggle with pride all in the name of that they're missing it or the other person is missing it. Look at yourself. And you will see that you will become free. If you find yourself complaining a lot, it's because the pride of life is starting to rise up. Let me tell you something. Real, real, this is not even my notes. Complaining sometimes is a result of the pride of life that's not been checked in your heart. I have never... Humility is so beautiful and it's so spiritually attractive. I have never met someone say this about humility. That person is too humble. That person is too, it has too much humility. They're too approachable and too lovable. I don't like that. No, if you don't like that, it's because you're the opposite of that. You know why? People that walk and haven't been checked in pride subliminally do not like people that walk in humility because it's exposing their lack of humility. So like, you just you just trying to get all attention to you. Look at that. You're just trying to be humble. Yes, I am. Because if you're humble for the wrong reasons, then that's false humility. That's a whole other topic. If you're trying to overexert your humility to get people to see you, then you that's pride in itself. But pride comes in many forms, and I want to remind the church today that it was because of that one that third element of the pride of life that Lucifer got kicked out of heaven because he watched this. Are you ready for this? Mature Christians, look at me. Look how I'm built. Look, let's do 2017 version, right? I've been walking with the Lord 30 years. I have journals of all these dreams. I have, I have gone to conference and equipping seminars. And you know what? You, you, ju you just come here 10, 10 years, 15 years. You know, I pray for you, but that's good. If you're not careful, that will be a slight arrogance that will start putting up in your heart. And you know what? Watch this. You know what pride does to somebody too? It gives you the ability not to submit to someone that God wants you to submit to. Humility will look at someone and say, in their imperfection, I can submit to them if God wants me to. I don't care how your boss is, unless they're telling you to do something that's against the Bible, you need to submit to your boss. Here's the problem. If your submission is based on everything that you like to do, then we will never submit to anything. Where in the Bible does it say that you only submit when, you, when, when things go good to you? Where does it say that? No, as a matter of fact, true test of humility is when you can submit to something that you don't like. And, and let me have news for you. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean that it's not from God. Maybe it is from God. You just don't like it. And there's a difference between some, some people's, you know, whatever. So you have to look at that area in your life so that you can overcome the stealth pride of life. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? I want you to see this now. The temptation of growing of pride growing in someone's life 
uh, humility, sorry, let me, let me say that again. The temptation of pride growing inside someone thinks that someone that's walking in humility is weak or has no authority. Watch this. This is powerful. Don't ever confuse humility with lack of authority. Because Jesus was the most humble man on the earth, yet he had all the authority on the earth. Let me tell you something. Jesus was a meek man, but he wasn't a weak man. Do not confuse humility. Do not confuse humility or someone that's walking in humility as soft and, and somebody that's going to get beat down by everything. No. Humility is needed, but let me tell you, humility actually is the authority that you carry. It's the cloak of authority that you carry comes through humility. I said it before and I said it again. Hum, re, l- listen. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, resist the devil, and he'll flee. The combination is in your humility that gives you that authority. So, so you have to get to that point where you understand humility. Say humility. So the pride of life is the opposite of humility, okay? Now watch. I was in a group of, uh, with, uh, I was in a group of, of pastors and leaders. Uh, if the worship team could come up here. I'm going get, to get about 12.15 today. But are you getting something this morning? I really want to drive this home. If the worship team could start making its way up to the, the platform. I was, in a, I was in a meeting with about 10 or 15 pastors uh, th- this past Thursday. Uh, we had a whole bunch of uh, pastors from around the city, and we met here at RCC. And the whole purpose was that we wanted to get together as pastors and leaders to see how we can, watch this, reach the city through prayer. Hello? That should have excited you right there. About 15 minutes to say, how can we come together once a month? And pray for our city so that we can see revival in our city. So in the midst of praying, one of the pastors and one of the ministers lifted up their hands and voice and said, um, I feel that one of the things we need to do to possess our cities is to come and not ha- have any agenda of our own and stay humble. And then as we were praying, this other minister lifted up uh, her, her voice and said, I feel from the Lord, watch this, that the Lord is saying to us, the humble can't be stopped. In prayer, they said, I feel that the Lord says there's nothing impossible for those who are humble. Watch this. Watch this. And immediately I said, that is scriptural. What that lady is praying when she said, I believe that the humble can't be stopped. And I started thinking about humility versus pride. They're like two opposite teams. And immediately the word of the Lord came to my mouth, to my heart and said, those who are humble are on God's team. Those who are prideful are on the opposition of God's team. They're against God's team. And I'm like, okay. And I heard that. And suddenly this verse popped into my head. Look at the next verse. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 through 6 in the NLT. Ready? Listen, pride, pride is not just something that we have to deal with. You have to recognize pride is something. You're against God if you're operating in arrogance. You're actually on the opposite team. Oh, oh, oh watch, watch it. I'm going to give you something good. God actually gives special resources to the humble and, does, and withholds resources from those who are prideful. Look at this. Look at this. In the same way, you younger men, you must accept the authority of the elders. Okay? Now he's talking to young people. Then he's talking to everybody. So you, so you older folks are not, are not exempt from this next one. And all of you, he's talking to all of you, serve each other, watch it, in humility for, watch this, God opposes. That's the word that came through my spirit. The proud, but favors the humble. Another, another translation is God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I can unpack that in so many areas. Do you realize the necessity for grace? 
Wait a minute. No, no, you don't understand what I'm saying. When Paul had the thorn on his side, the Bible says the remedy for the thorn on your side is my grace is sufficient for you. So grace is given for you to overcome trial, but grace is not given to those who are purposely or even unintentionally repeatedly allowing the pride of life to raise up inside of them. The Bible says he gives grace to the humble, watch this, and opposes the proud. We can have something there. The proud are the ones, listen, look at me, that sometimes don't even know it. And sometimes the proud is because they develop a hard heart through some real negative circumstances. Are you, real, are you hearing me? So what is the key here in the kingdom? Promotion and exaltation comes through purposely living in humility. Okay, I'm going I'm, I'm to say a little secret in the kingdom right now. All of this and the, the, the favor that we have is not because we're just good people. We walked, we're trying to walk in humility. You know, I was telling some of my leaders, uh, uh, you know, I don't understand how, how God has d done this. And several times, um, one of my leaders has said it's because of you guys' humility. It's because of your humility. And the more I study scripture, I'm going to give you a little secret. Do you want to get promoted in your job? Do you want to get promoted in the kingdom? Intentionally look at yourself in any area of pride that's rising up and start intentionally walking in humility. You say, where do you get that? Promotion and exaltation comes when we go the low road. Every time I've gone the low road, I have seen the Lord swing the bat, a home run on my behalf. Let me tell you, when I deserved the other person's favor, I went low. And the, listen, I'm going to tell you something. You can never go wrong taking the low road. I'm not talking about a defeated mindset. I'm not talking about, oh, look, woe is me. I'm just a, a, a lowly servant. No, no, no. I'm talking about walk in authority, but stay humble and guard your heart from pride. Guard your mind from thinking that you're a know-it-all. You say, Pastor George, where is that? Glad you asked. Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at Jesus and how, why did the Father promote him? Just because he loves him? Sure he loves him. But why did the, the Father give Jesus the name above every name? Look at this. Let this mind be in you, which was also in who? Christ Jesus. Look at this. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of man. Watch this. And being found in appearance of man. Are you ready for this? He humbled himself. Say humble himself. There's a revelation here. He humbled himself. Say he humbled himself. Right after humility comes the power to obey. And became obedient. Watch this. There's a revelation here. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Humility will give you the strength to be obedient to God's word when it doesn't make sense. When it's hard, when they're the ones who did you injustice, and you're and the Holy Spirit saying you still go and you give them five dollars for lunch, you still buy them, uh, you still you you still do something kind for them. But they did something to me. Humility says I will execute obedience. If listen, obedience is sometimes fueled by the first action of humility within inside of you. Look at this. He became obedient to the point of the cross. Are you ready for promotion? Are you ready for promotion? Look at verse nine. Therefore, you know what the word therefore means? You have to look what it's there for. Prior, God has what? Come on, church. Come on. Highly exalted him and given him the name which is above 
every name. Exaltation came because he humbled himself and was obedient to God. Therefore, right after he humbled himself, the Bible says, therefore, the reason why I'm promoting him is because he humbled himself. He is God and he became a man and he became obedient. That's why I'm about to promote him. Therefore, God has given him the name above every name. That at, every, at Jesus' name, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall in heaven and on earth and, 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 and under the earth. Keep going. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Can I hear an amen? So what was the key ingredient for God exalting Jesus? Humility. Do you see that, church? Humility because of his obedience. Yes, he needed to be obedient. But let me tell you a secret that I have found out. There are some times that God's voice or God's word is hard to swallow. Sometimes God will tell you to do things that go contradictory to every feeling that you're feeling right now. That does not mean it's not God. He's testing if you would humble yourself and be obedient. Always remember this. Obedience and humility are hand in hand. If you don't have humility, it will be very hard to be obedient. If you do, you'll know, you know what? This is not about me. Church is not about me. Ministry is not about me. I could receive from someone, even they have, even they have different things or nature than me. I can still receive from my husband. I can still receive from my wife. I can still receive from my boss. But there's something to be said when you're. I just feel led from the Lord to say this. If you look hard enough, you're gonna find flaws. So don't look so hard. Everyone's gonna have flaws. Stop looking at all the things that should be done. And start being the answer to what should be done. That's humility. Humility is saying, you know what, we're going to do this together. Can I hear an amen? This is beautiful. One of the, humility is, the, is one of the first things we see about ourselves. I'm almost done. That we notice significantly about our lives when we first get saved. You know why we're more visible? Uh, you know why humility is more visible when we first get saved? I'm going to give you a revelation and then I'm going to close here. Do you wonder why humility is visible when we first get saved? Now, here's a revelation for you. Another revelation. Because it comes right after a repentant heart. Watch this. Repentance and mourning over your sin produces true humility and meekness. The reason why new believers, what do, what do new believers do to get saved? They repent. Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I realize I'm a sinner. And they come out and their face and their heart and their actions are filled with humility. You know why? Because repentance is the prerequisite for true humility. Repentance is not a one-time thing. Now, neither is repentance something that you beat yourself over the head of. No, repentance is saying, you know what? Lord, in this area of my life, I've got short and I repent. You know what? Because of repentance, it produces humility. Watch this revelation. The Beatitudes that I'm going to speak, I wrote a book on. The Beatitudes, they're progressive in nature. It's a recipe from heaven to be able to get inner healing to you. But what's the first Beatitude? The first Beatitude. Are you ready for this? Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Watch this. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does poor in spirit mean? A revelation that you and I are bankrupt without of any good thing other than the goodness of God. In other words, you realize, I, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, not poor in, in, in money. No, poor in like the realization that I have nothing good inside of me. When you have that revelation, he says, you're blessed. Watch this. Are you ready? Look at the progression. 
the next progression, the next beatitude is, watch this, blessed are those who mourn. Now, mourning is not mourning over somebody that died. Yes, that's part of mourning, but it's not the blessing. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Well, atheists mourn, Satanists mourn with, when it comes to uh, uh, losing a loved one. That's not the blessing that God is telling. The blessing that God is saying about mourning is the spiritual mourning. Watch this, are you ready? Which produces repentance out of the revelation that you're poor in spirit. So, mourning comes from the revelation of, I'm bankrupt. Oh my gosh, I realize I'm really not, oh my gosh, that's right. Lord, I need to come to you because this pride is starting to come against me. This sin is starting to come against me. And so you mourn over your spiritual bankruptcy. Are you ready for the third one? Right after mourning, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Do you see that? Meekness comes right after mourning. What does that tell you? That tells you that when you have a heart of repentance, the equation is humility. Now watch, I'm going to close with this. There's two types of ways to get humility and the pride of life out, sorry, the pride of life out of you and humility in you. Either you could humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and He will exalt you, or because of His great love for you, He'll humble you. And I'd rather humble myself than God humbling me. Because if it gets to the point where God has to humble me, it's because I've been rejecting and rejecting many avenues not to examine my heart in pride and arrogance through many situations and then suddenly because of his great love he'll allow that humility to come upon you because he's he's after a goal he's after your heart can i hear an amen can i hear an amen this is why we need this now i want you to write this down and then we're going to pray we're going to have we're not going to have an altar call but we're going to pray how many are, are is the lord speaking this morning what does humility do? I want you to write this and then we're going we're gonna to close. What does humility do? These three things humility does. I want you to write this. This is going to be important. Three main things humility does in your life. Number one, humility enables and empowers us, is up on the screen, to think of others better than ourselves. Did you hear me? Humility empowers us to think of others better than yourself. Can we truly say we're thinking of others better than ourselves? That's what the first thing humility does is an outward expression. It thinks of others. It's selfless. And can I just be honest? Sometimes you don't get any reward, but you will in heaven. You're not going to get any earthly reward sometimes by doing the right thing. I'm preaching good this morning. Humility enables and empowers you to think of others. We've become so selfish in our Christianity. Let's wake up. Christianity is not about me. It's about others. Watch this, even if it's inconvenience. I, I never forget. What, I, I need to say this real quick because it's coming to my spirit. Me and my wife cried one time about this. We were at a, a, at a retreat that we used to go every year. We would go to a, a beach house, you know, and... Um, we would go to a beach house, and this one lady would let us just go to their house and, and to the beach. And um, one time I asked her, I said, can I ask you a question, the owner? I said, uh, where do you go when we're in, the be we're, we're in here? Like, do you go travel? She goes, sometimes. Sometimes I don't. I go, so you're letting us use your house so we could get a vacation, me and my wife. She goes, yep. I go, where do you go? She goes, sometimes I go to my friend's house. And she goes, you know what, brother? Just like this. She goes, the gospel is inconvenient. She goes, I'll never forget this. I cried. She goes, for you 
and your wife, I'll gladly sleep in my car in Walmart so you guys could enjoy some refreshing time at the beach. What? She goes, I'll gladly, she goes, a life of a minister is hard. I'll gladly sleep at Walmart for your wife and yourself to have a couple days away. And I looked, and it, my wife and I just started crying. I couldn't believe it. You know what humility does? It lets you serve others. Think of others. And sometimes humility is an inconvenience. But my God, you will get the favor of the Holy Spirit upon your life. Woo, I feel the Holy Spirit here. Number two. The second thing humility does is it will help us to be obedient to what God asks of us through his word or by his voice. Humility will help us to be obedient to what God asks of us through his word or by his voice. That's the second thing humility does. You want to execute obedience? What if, what if God today tells you and whispers in your heart to give $50 to someone who backstabbed you? Be like, uh-uh. They need to give me $50. What if God tells you, what if God tells you, you know what? I need you to purposely start loving people who have rejected you. Start calling them up. Humility will get you to that place where you are obedient to what God speaks to you, even if it hurts. Are you ready for this? Even when you want to say a defense. Lastly, lastly, humility will help us crucify our desires for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Today, there's an invitation from heaven to recognize the subtle approaches where the church has become prideful, not in the sense of look at me, in the sense of not knowing or not receiving from others because you have more experience or because you've been hurt and, and you're the only way that sees things your way. It's, a, it's an invitation to say, listen, you're not the only. Can I just be honest with you? Elijah had a problem. He didn't realize it. He goes, no, everyone's forsaken me, God. I'm the only one who's serving you. Look at all these. And God's like, there's 7,000 other people that have prophets have not bowed their knee to Baal. Don't think you're the only one. What's fine and interesting is you don't see Elijah's response after that. He was like, oh. It's an invitation to reject pride arrogance and walk in humility, the pride of life. Come on, let's stand up. Come on, stand up. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, we ask, Lord God, that you would bring forth this message, Lord God, to release your people from the stealth reality of spiritual pride. The stealth reality. You know what? Some of us, it's good to, to say, God, I, I inspect my heart because repentance produces meekness. Mourning produces meekness. So just examine yourself now. Lord, is there an area right now? Come on, lift up your hands right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we release your presence right now. We release your presence in this room. We ask you in Jesus' name. Release your presence. Release the, the, the reality of us contending. Come on, I want you to contend against, against the temptation, the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh and the pride of life. Come on. Lord Jesus, here we are. We ask, come on, begin to pray. Father, we ask, Lord God, to examine us. We repent if we have said things behind people's back because of how they do things or, or because of our boss or because of our, our family or because of their inconsistencies. Father, we ask, Lord God, remove the pride of life in your people. 
release true humility in our lives. Release true humility in our in our churches. Release true humility in our our government. Release true leader uh, humility in our leadership. Come on, contend right now, God. Come on, in your own way, contend against the pride of life. Come on. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.